We've just had a magnificent time of worship, but I still feel to speak about worship. And so we're just reading some very famous verses, and not bothering to put them in their setting, we're just kind of steal them out of the setting in uh, John 4 and verse 19. You remember the conversation, I'm sure, that Jesus is having with the woman from Samaria. And uh, the woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Father, we thank you so much for the hour we've enjoyed bringing our love, our worship, our praise to you. We thank you for so inhabiting our worship, for so feeding us and nourishing us and Lord, just uh, dwelling in the midst of us, God, we're so grateful. Thank you for those who served us in helping lead us into worship. We thank you for your wonderful response to us. And Father, we more and more realize that worship is the heart of everything. And we do pray in the name of Jesus that you will instruct us, bless us in this session. We pray we may be better fitted to serve you because we gave attention to these things together. So come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Uh, Direct our thinking, inspire us, lead us forward into your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, address this wonderful theme uh, from three words, really. And I'll start with the word liberty, okay? So liberty is the first word I want to focus on as we consider worship. We're told in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. And I guess that's one of the things that characterizes our kind of church life, that we experience what I think we're happy to live with, that word, liberty. We enjoy liberty. Uh, yet, perhaps we don't think about what does that mean? What is that expressing really? Is it just that we're more relaxed? Uh, certainly, historically, as we've moved to uh, build these kind of churches Many have come in simply to the church as it now is, but at the beginning we had to do some fairly dramatic things to break out of the religious shell we were in. I know for myself, when we first started in homes and then we got a building, and this is going back to the very beginning where the people were barely aware of being baptized in the Spirit. And uh, when we got our building, uh, sadly, they went religious on us. And I remember going down early uh, because I thought I must break 
this religious thing, and I'd stand at the front of the building, and when people came in, I'd move the chair on the ground. You know, it makes dreadful noise. And I, it wasn't a mistake. It was deliberate. It was just to kill the kind of whispering that began to come when we got into a proper church building. And it's hard for some of you to even contemplate that, because these days we have to say, will you please be quiet? We want to start. Uh, in those days, uh, as you came through the door, it was kind of very hushed, and that's still happening, of course, in some churches. And I got there sometime early, and I would wait till there's about a dozen, and then I'd look for someone, and I'd see maybe uh, one of the guys, I'd say, John, did you see the match last night? And, uh, and then everyone would look around, you know, we're just killing uh, religiousness, or at least trying to, and sometimes we can think that liberty is simply breaking with formality, which is not unimportant, but I don't think it's everything we're talking about. Yes, we are less formal, we are less structured, uh, we have a different way of being church together, there is a liberty. I believe we're more joyful, outwardly joyful. We express ourselves joyfully in worship. Joy characterizes our worship together. That's very biblical. It says when the church began to break out, there was great joy in the city, joy unspeakable, full of glory, even in the midst of persecution. They were celebrating. And so, yeah, a joy that breaks through. Certainly, formally, again, uh, we would sing great old hymns that talked about great joy, but there was nothing being expressed. And so liberty to express uh, joy is certainly part of it. Uh, and sometimes that is almost like in-your-face liberty uh, when people sing songs like, I will be even more undignified than this. It's kind of in-your-face uh, uh, you know, don't you like this? Well, I'm going to be even more undignified as Matt Redman puts songs like that in our lips. And, uh, you know, we're going to be a shouting, dancing generation. And so, uh, you know, we're going to dance on holy ground. You don't like this? We're going to dance <laughs> on holy ground. So there's a kind of in-your-face liberty. Um, we really mean it. We're fighting for it. We're going for it. And uh, yet still we need to answer the question, what do we really mean by Liberty. Is it simply rebellion against old forms? Is it just uh, shaking out? Are we just uh, uh, a free-for-all? Is it a young people's kind of church? What do we mean when we talk about liberty? It's good for us to get a biblical kind of framework for this. I love Psalm 126 when it says in verses 1 and 2, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. I remember experiencing that. I remember our church changing around. When the Spirit came, people got baptized in the Spirit. The whole breakout, it really was like that. Remember the background? Israel was away from the temple. They were banished. They were in exile. They were away from where God's presence was manifested. They've made synagogues and so on to have the sacred scriptures, but there was no glory. And uh, they were being mocked. We read in uh, Psalm 137, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And they mocked us and said, why don't you sing some of the songs of Zion? They said, we can't. We're in captivity. But when God restored them and said, come on, let's go back to Zion. Then we were like those with that dream. And certainly for us, the breakout of the Holy Spirit's presence 
was a fresh liberty out from what seemed like being away from the presence of the Lord, going through the formalities but not enjoying the reality of the presence of God. And so in the Scriptures, worship is a response to God's prior activity. And that's how it always is. Liberty was a response to God. Worship is a response to God. In fact, the very first worship song in the Bible is Exodus 15, when they come out from Egypt, they come out from the bondage and the slavery, we find Exodus 15, you could call it Psalm 1 almost, it's the first song of worship in the Bible. It's a response to what God did when God delivered them. And they began to sing about God. It was a discovery and celebration of God's mighty power to save. And as he begins to sing, the song goes along, I believe, I believe prophetically inspired. Who is there like you? Glorious in holiness, doing wonders. And so worship comes out from the liberty they've experienced of coming out from slavery. It's a being set free. They were released. In the New Testament, we find Paul saying in 2 Corinthians and chapter 3, I read one verse, but I'll read a little more to you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.14, where it says, Whenever Moses read, oh no, go, when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 16, 17, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are breaking out from something which was less than liberty. As we behold God, we ourselves are subject to a transforming influence. We are being transformed into his image. There is a dynamic that takes place in a context of worship. There is a beholding of God that is going to go on liberating us more and more as we become more and more like him. Leading churches into worship is one of the highest callings of a minister, I believe. Anyone who is a full-time servant of God to lead people to become worshippers I don't just mean to leave worship services, which is a wonderful gift that we've uh, had on display since we've been here this morning. It's just beautiful. But part of our responsibility is to lead people to become worshippers, both publicly and privately, because that is their highest calling. God is seeking worshippers. He's not just seeking converts. He's seeking worshippers. And we just need to ask ourselves, has he found one in me yet? Because that is our highest calling, to be a worshipper. That's what God wants around the throne. There are countless worshippers, and he is the one worthy of all praise and worship. And uh, I was reflecting on many of these things as God led us through uh, this morning, uh, one stage after another almost, although we're not conscious of stages. And one of the dangers sometimes about uh, teaching on worship is you can become self-conscious instead of God-conscious, which is the very last thing you want. But there have to come times when you do that. I always feel that about when... Uh, if you go to see a, a, a golf professional, you know, it's about the worst thing. You have to you know, put your feet like that and the arms straight and hold it like that and don't do that. And, you know, you come and look at the ball. You're trying to remember all these things. It's desperate. And then some teenager comes down, puts the ball and whacks it miles. And you're, you're trying to think left, right, now. And worship, if when you're worshipping, 
you're trying to think, no, we mustn't do that. Oh, no, that, that happens now. This, you know, it's desperate because we start thinking of ourselves when we really want to be thinking about God. Nevertheless, it's helpful for us to stand back and look at some of the principles and understand what God wants of us to lead people to become worshippers and that the church at worship is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. That's what God wants. As we're worshipping, we ourselves are being changed. It's important that we don't just see worship as the preliminaries, and it's wonderful to have the emphasis that's been on display here this morning of a whole session just to worship God. There's no sense in which we've said, oh, we'll sing a couple of songs, and then we'll get down to it. No, we gather preeminently to God. It's very important as we press forward, we are gathering to God, and uh, the preaching just makes you better worshippers, we hope. We are gathering preeminently to God. That's our calling. And so what have we been set free from? It's helpful for us to understand that people need to comprehend what they've been set free from, that they might become real worshippers. So we're seeing here liberty. Well, we've been set free from judgment, death, and hell. It's breathtaking news that we are no longer uh, ripe for judgment. We're no longer heading to the uncertainties of death. We're not uh, heading to a terrible void. We're facing the future with joy and certainty. I remember speaking to Henry Tyler, who was my co-elder at uh, the first church we started there in Brighton, and then he was seriously ill and and ready to die. And we went to see him in hospital. And he said, he said, I'm just. He said, they've asked me if I want this medicine. I don't want the medicine. He said, I feel like I'm in the departure lounge. I'm just waiting for my number to come. And he was just radiant, absolutely radiant. He was in some pain, but he's radiant. There's no fear. It's just joy and certainty. I'm just waiting for my number. I'm in the departure lounge. I've, I've come through the gate. I'm just waiting now uh, for God to call me. Uh, no fear of death, no fear of hell. We've been liberated from future fear. We've been liberated from condemnation. In the present, the judgment in the present. Again, in order to uh, bring about true worshippers, it's not so much, come on, sing it louder, let's take the roof off this time. It's really helping people understand there is no condemnation. And to be able to teach people their right relationship with God will liberate them into being true worshippers. And so worshippers are created through truth that sets them free, And they worship in spirit and in truth, not just in noise or in melody. They're worshiping from the heart out of deep appreciation. To be honest, it's one of the reasons worship times are great with groups of leaders. Because the reality is leaders have probably gone further with their understanding of truth. And they come together and someone prays some scripture and reads some scripture and we're all up there with them and, and we just keep riding upon the, uh, the warm air currents that are coming uh, because we've more understanding of what God's freed us from. But for us as we build church, we need to teach people more and more what the grace of God has accomplished, which means I am accepted, I am uh, at home in the presence of God, and we want the sort of songs that we uh, sing in our church to help people know that they are free from condemnation. There is no guilt. They need to be able to understand that. That worship comes from a heart of appreciation, not just from a good melody or from what... It's important that we need to be engaging all the time, I would say, as uh, elders with those who lead in worship. We're not simply looking for good musicians. We're looking for guys who really understand truth. They love truth. They know where where we're going to lead these people this morning into truth. 
so that people can celebrate the wonder of what's happened to them. It's very difficult when we just keep singing a song because the melody is great, but it's not saying anything. And sometimes we're just repeating some lines that say nothing. I I don't want to sing this line again. It doesn't say anything. It's turning my brain off. And we want a combination of spirit and truth. We want truth that inflames the heart and causes our, our hearts to leap for joy. And certainly we were doing that this morning as truth after truth was stirring us and lifting us. We need to celebrate. We're freed from condemnation. We are righteous. We're accepted. And we're no longer into uh, legalism, uh, performance religion. We've been brought into the liberty of sons. So all those kind of truths are to be taught, celebrated in worship. And that brings us to God with a real sense of having been genuinely set free. Now, joy is certainly going to be a fruit of that and the liberty that God wants us to experience comes out from that. So freedom is going to be coming out of a knowledge of what God's done so that we're free from judgment future, condemnation now, legalism and law and all that kind of bondage. We're also free from the power of sin. We've been, my chains fell off. There has to be a, a celebration of that. And, and when sometimes people feel, well, oh, I wish my chains had fell, fallen off. You know, when God spoke to Abraham and said, you know, you will have a son. It says he grew in faith as he gave praise and glory to God. He wasn't daunted by his own inability or the enormity of the promise. But he grew in faith as he praised And it's important for us when we're declaring things about our being freed from sin that we celebrate that, we sing that, we declare that, we enjoy enjoy that. If we don't uh, encourage people into those sort of things, there won't be the freedom that God wants us to enjoy. And then finally in this kind of list here, freedom from false gods. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, you turned from idols to serve the true and living God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. We need to see people freed from their idols, and until people become truly worshippers, they are still in danger of being in bondage to some form of idolatry. And idolatry is a real problem to people in terms of things that preoccupy them, things that are in their heart really above God. And they may not like to see it in those terms, but things that actually demand their allegiance, make them make certain choices, and actually dominate their lives. I was just reading recently, and it was saying about having another God, and really asked the question, what is it, if you were alone, what is it you think, I could not live without that? I don't know how I would cope. I don't know how I'd live another day without that. And so with that, you know, when something assumes that kind of proportion, I don't know if I want to live without that. That has become such a major thing in your life. That is taking away from God's priority. That you think, no, I live for Jesus. And sometimes we get to know Jesus when we've gone through terrible times of pain and difficulty where things are stolen away, it seems. And that's where often people come to know Christ uh, for themselves. I remember I was speaking at a, a CU meeting in England and uh, a student event. And in the question, open question time, one girl asked the question, if you never have a boyfriend, 
how can you ever know what love is like when God talks about love? And you need, don't you, to experience love in order to know how to love God. And uh, I, I had to, to say in reply, in all honesty, for me, when I got to really know God was at a time when I lost everybody, lost all my friends, at a time when I thought I must put God first. I'd been a Christian for five years and was terribly backslidden. And then there came a, a, a preach one morning that captivated and turned me, and I, I just said goodbye to all my old life, and my parents were not saved, and I wasn't really in the church, and they were very religious at church, and I didn't know how to relate to them, and it was like, you're on your own. And, uh, and that's when I got to know Jesus. And, that, and I got baptized in the Spirit soon after that and fell in love with Jesus. And, and it wasn't that I had these props to help me know what love was like. It was like when everything else was taken away. And I used to come home and just want to go in the room and talk to Jesus, be with Jesus. That's when I found him, when everything else was gone. I heard Tim Keller say recently on a tape, he said, uh, sorry, he said I've, there's, there's a girl in the church where he is, and she said she's a good girl. She knows the Lord, loves the Lord. Uh, walking with God at all the meetings. And then one day she said to him, she said, you know, it all comes to nothing if at college none of the guys give you a second look. I know the Lord, I know he loves me, I know, but it's all nothing if none of the guys give you a second look. It's like, well, of course I love Jesus, but it'd be nice to have something else as well. And he, he's arguing, yeah, that's like an idol really. That's, I, I, my real joy comes from here. My real joy comes from there. And I, I was pondering, you know, what are the real idols that can captivate us? And I felt that P.J. Powerfully put his finger on uh, one yesterday that's major to often to many of us, wanting others to think well of us, to be accepted, to be well thought of, can really be an idol. You think, I don't know if I could live without that. That's what I want. That's an idol. That's stopping me. Worshipping Jesus. One of the things about the Lord Jesus is he never had to be freed from any idols. He never had another God to worship. And one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is his devotion to the Father. We were thinking about him this morning, weren't we? And focusing on him and pondering him. And one of the most beautiful things about Jesus, I just delight to do his will. We see him not just in splendid isolation, but we see him as a phenomenal lover of God, a hater of evil. Someone prayed, Lord, teach me to hate evil and love good. And, and Jesus was so besotted with the Father. He wanted the Father's will at all times. That was utter priority. He was a real God worshiper. And we're looking for worshippers, which means when a worshipper will make all kinds of decisions when no one else is looking. It's not just about singing in the meetings. It's like, Choosing righteousness, making big decisions about career, about what I do. It's about being alone when no one else is watching and sins knocking at the door saying, would you like some? It's, it's really the hardest, who do I worship? Where's my heart? And we can try and teach people sanctification by all kinds of rules and regulations and don't do that and never go there. But if you haven't got their heart in worship... You haven't got them yet. That's why God's, Jesus says God's seeking worshippers. Not just converts, not just guys who know how to keep in line when everyone's marching together. But does he have our hearts? 
And so that we have been freed from other things. So worship keeps on changing us from one degree of glory to another, so that as we're worshiping and we're beholding him, this transforming power is at work in us. So it's in worship times that sanctification can dynamically happen inside you. you your heart's being won even more. You're finding it easier to make decisions to go his way and not your way. Your preference might take you into all kinds of things, and choices will come and go. But worshippers, he wants worshippers. At the heart, worship is fundamental, it's key. And that will come, I believe, from our teaching, encouraging, inspiring, motivating, until in the end you can feel he is safe. Why is he safe? He's a worshipper. He really is a worshipper. I don't just mean when he goes daft in the meeting. But God's got his heart. God's really got his heart, her heart. He could be trusted now with what? Spiritual authority, position in the church. His heart's just, he's he's the Lord's. It's not just that he knows the rules. He's got a bit of skill. He's besotted with God. He's seeking worshippers, people who are God-centered, I can't thank God enough for the writings of men like Piper and the whole desiring God philosophy. It talks about Christian hedonism. But to want more of God as fundamental to who we are. This is my meat. I want to be with him. I want to enjoy him. It's so fundamental. It's so central. And when we publicly worship together, we should be helping people down that path. And so the sort of choice of songs that we have, things that we focus on, will help people down that path. So we, we really want to be very serious about how we select and where we go in terms of our worship events. That we're not just having a good old liberty time. We call it liberty. Well, why? Well, because we had a good old time. Were we getting clearer about what God's freed us from? Are we getting more and more drawn into being utterly devoted to Jesus that when I'm away from this meeting, my lifestyle is going to be different to other people because he's won my heart some more. And I do believe that sort of thing was happening as we we're worshipping this morning. That's the sort of way we want to go. It will, it will, we may need to stand back and say, hey, we need to radically rethink the way we have our worship meeting. What are we focusing our attention on? What's on our thoughts? What sort of songs are we singing? So that was uh, our first word, liberty. And as I say, I think it's easy to come into our meetings and just say, wow, they're very free because we are unstructured and all the rest of it. But it's really much more than that. And God wants our total freedom, and that's come out in terms of response and worship. Secondly, faith. Right? That's the second word I felt, just looking at and thinking about worship. I just felt God gave these three words to me. I wanted to talk about worship, and uh, I felt the second word was faith. When we worship, we have a great opportunity to publicly declare what we believe. We are singing and saying out loud, wholeheartedly, gratefully, joyfully, what we believe about God, about ourselves, about one another. We are singing before principalities and powers, the lost. We are enthusing about God, and we're declaring things that are true of Him. And we're doing that in faith. Without faith... It's impossible to please God. And so we're worshipping with faith. And he that comes to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it says in Psalm 106 verse 12, 
They believed his words, they sang his praise. When you believe, you sing. That's the, if you look at the psalmist, you'll find that again and again. That when he starts believing, he starts singing. He's believing and singing. These things go hand in hand. I'd like to just kind of um, unravel a few aspects of faith. First of all, I would say there is a singing of what I would call creedal faith. Faith in what we actually believe. Probably the classic one of all would be uh, Graham Kendrick's old song, which virtually puts the creed to music. We believe in God the Father. You don't, may not even remember that song. Um, some of the songs I may quote would date me miserably, but never mind. But that was a, a statement of what I believe. I'm singing out what I believe objectively about God. It's so important that we do that. That is true also in things like in Christ alone. It's just full of truth about God. When I first heard about that song, some of the guys at home were raving about it. Have you heard the new song? And I hadn't. And then someone gave me a tape. I stuck it in the car. I was driving along. And I thought, don't think much of this. And uh, the reason was that I couldn't hear the words. I could hear the melody. And I thought, yeah, pleasant. What are they raving about? And then I was in church. And I saw the words up on the screen. And when I started singing the words... Oh, my word. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Line upon line about God, who he is, how he works. We are making statements about him. When we sing things like, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. We are making great statements about God. Now, worship does that. We believe, we believe, this is the God we believe in. So it's very, very important, dear friends, that we, we do choose, not sort of mushy stuff. We are choosing to say some things about God. Now, I'm in danger of being misunderstood, and we have some time at the end for questions, if it seems helpful. But it's important to state things. Now, it may be at the end of having stated them, we might need something at the end, which is giving us an opportunity to respond. I was talking to Matt Redman once, and he was chatting about some of the songs that Stuart had written and uh, Stuart Townend, that is, and some of the songs that were coming out of our uh, stable, if I can put it that way, he said, I love them. They're so full of content. He said, I just wish you'd put a bit on the end, which says something like, so I really worship you, God. He said, I just felt it was so objective, it needs a moment of expression as well, which I thought was an interesting comment. Um, but here we have things where we're saying, this is true. We shall meet him in the air we shall be like him. When Lou Fellingham and Nathan wrote that, uh, it just took off at Stonely Bible. Where you thought, oh. But within a year, I was in three funerals where that was sung. And I mean, people were just so blessed. These great truths, great truths honor God. They're saying, this is the majestic God. This is what he's done for us. This is how it's going to be. And we're singing out certainties about him. Faith comes soaring up in our hearts as we sing out what our God is like. This is true worship. This is honoring God as he has revealed himself. Not just coming up with little thoughts that we have, but taking very seriously what he said. So, creedal faith. Songs that declare things about God, focus on him, tell us what he's like, and bless us phenomenally. We need such songs. Secondly, faith under pressure. 
Faith under pressure. Old hymns would be things like stayed upon Jehovah, hidden in the hollow of his hand. Songs that kind of said, yes, Lord, it's all right. We were singing this morning about we may walk on land, ground, that is uh, not flat and level. I've forgotten exactly how it goes. Uh, but, you know, but you are in charge, Lord. You're God. You reign. And this is faith under pressure. And as we're singing that, I thought, yeah, this is the God I want to lean on. We started the meeting with, uh, you know, leaning on the beloved. And we're saying, you reign every circumstance. I thought, yeah, let me lean on you, Lord. Because it's saying that whatever the circumstance, I'm trusting you. So that's faith in a situation. You are the everlasting God. So oh, those who wait upon the Lord. We're, we're, we're doing something now. We are saying, Lord, I know it can be difficult. I know there are problems on the way, but I'm going to wait upon you. And so faith begins to grow. We sing, sing songs like, which say things like, when all around my soul gives way, I know that you are God. Again, I know that uh, Nathan and Lou wrote that when there was a child in our church at home that uh, after a prolonged illness, where it seemed like up and down, up and down, then tragically died. And the church had been very focused on this child. And, you know, when you're a family church, and it's just it's the heart of the church, you're all involved in it together. And then the child died. And then the next week we're singing this song. When all around, you know, it gives way, but I still know you're in God. You're God. How good it is being loved by you. And, and, and so a song came to say, no, we still trust, we believe against the pressures. We believe even though it's tough. Uh, so you will take us through. You will, how steady is your hand? I love that song to guide me through this world. And, uh, you know, you give, you take away. Massive song that uh, Matt Redman wrote. Because it's saying, no, look, you're above the circumstances. I will praise you even in times of difficulty. What a faithful God have I. And so faith, sometimes it's creedal faith saying, these are the truths about you. Sometimes it's faith in pressure that says, I'm still believing you're for me, though I can't see. That sort of song, again, it's real worship. And people are from their heart and their experience saying, this is my standing place. This is where I am. And that was happening here in the room this morning. I, I kind of was uh, looking around the room sometimes. I think some of the huge pressures that some are in as we were saying, Lord, we just can trust you in this. We are trusting you, whatever happens. And uh, <laughs> I was sitting behind you two there from Zim and just seeing your hands up and worshiping God and thinking, Lord, whatever's happening here, we're trusting you. And I just thought, you know, this is worship to God. This is so real. We're saying, Lord, we're trusting you. Whatever's happening, this is, this is worship. We are honoring him with all our hearts. And then there's a faith, and I'm, I wish that we could write some more of these, right? I think we lack these sort of songs. Confidence for success. Confidence for breakthrough faith. I don't think we've got enough of these kind of songs. But confidence for success, songs that are saying, I'm living by faith, I'm reigning by, in life, I'm now united with Christ, that kind of a song. And, and when I'm trying to illustrate that, I have to look around and think, wow, where are the songs that are making great faith statements? And I don't think we're rich with those kind of songs in our family of churches. I think we need to ask God help us to get more songs that uh, are saying things, I live, I live with power over sin. 
It's a bold statement. It's a song which is saying, I'm trusting God, I'm believing for success. I love that old song you may not have heard that came out of Sovereign Grace, Lord, I live by your word. Lord, I live by every word from your mouth. I'm like a tree by a stream. I am bearing fruit. My leaf is green. All that I do is prospering. Lord, I live by your word. Now, it's really just taking Psalm 1, turning it round, because it says, if you do this, this is what will happen to you. And it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and water the earth and bring forth its fruit, so shall be your word that you are speaking. It shall not return to you void. It shall accomplish your desire. It shall surely succeed. Your word transforms the desert. Your word is changing me. Lord, I live by your word. And to sing with boldness, Lord, your word is changing me. So we're not just saying, thank you, Lord, that as we go through this pressure, you're with me and for me, though that is wonderful. We want to press forward also and sing some songs that take us through into success, boldness, and confidence. I believe we need more of such songs. And when I talk about worshippers, as I said earlier, we're not just talking about meetings, beloved. We're all meant to be worshippers. Amen? When we have our, our daily worship, just you and God. You're telling him stuff. You're worshipping. You're delighting. You know this God who can transform your life, your church, your experience, your town, and you're honoring him and declaring your praise to him. You're saying, Lord, you're breathtakingly wonderful, and you've got enough grace for me. And when we're being battered by the enemy who comes against you and says you're hopeless, you say, no, this is the truth. And, and something like singing it out. It's, it's so hugely liberating for our spirit. Yes, corporate, but also individual. There's nothing you can't do. Lord, our eyes are on you. That's one of the lines. So real worship is looking to God expectantly, believing he's with you, believing he will and can act for you as your God. So it's really engaging with God and singing out the realities, living in a world of faith, living in that context of faith, enjoying him daily, singing out realities. This is who we are. This is who I am. This is who this church is. This is the reality. And we're worshipping and praising and singing our delight to God. It's massively important. And we need that kind of advancing faith that presses us forward. All things are possible. I remember we, Wendy and I uh, were in Kenya with Edward Berea, and we just had a little break, and we went down to Mombasa for a few days' break between things. And uh, we were told that Mombasa was a Muslim stronghold. Well, there's a guy down there whose name is some, Edward Lye or Wilfred Lye. Yeah, he obviously hasn't heard that. <laughs> uh, if, if he's heard it, he's not impressed with it. And he had a church of 16,000 meeting in a tent that we turned up at. Because uh, we just came to town and said, you know, is there a church? Oh, yeah, the Jesus Celebration Center. Can we get there? Yeah, just ask any taxi driver. And so we asked taxi driver, oh, yeah, I'll take you there. And we went, and there's the 16,000. And it was impressive. And, uh, you know, we're way back. And the singing started, and we're worshiping. We're beginning to sing some songs. And then he came, took the mics, and just pumped faith into the worship. I mean, absolutely. He said, come on, we're not just singing. And, and, and I saw worship in a new kind of a way in terms of this is a celebration of faith. 
This is a celebration of what God can do, will do, will do in this meeting. And, and he kind of took the mic for a while and lifted the whole crowd into faith in God. And again, I saw the importance of the leader of the church. I've seen it a few times. I saw once Jack Hayford on a television program. Interestingly, they let it go out still, but they're having their meeting. And Jack Hayford uh, is standing there looking kind of bored and fed up. And he stops the meeting and takes the mic and said, we're not worshipping here, we're just singing some songs. And he just gets hold of the thing. And actually he sat on the steps uh, in the church building where he was, the steps up to the front, and he just sat there and talked to him like a father to kids. And he said, come on, we want to worship Jesus, don't we? And he, he just, it was so beautiful. He said, right, now let's just worship again. And if you've been to any Benny Hinn meetings, you'll see these great choirs singing. And again, I saw it once when I was in Orlando at his church. He just came and took the mic. He said, now come on, let's really worship God. And you just see, now this is huge. We are declaring our confidence in God. We're not just singing a few songs. And I feel there are, there's a faith element. No, you say, oh, it's the faith people. You know, this church in uh, Mombasa is clearly a faith church. So well, we're not into faith. What, what are we into? We're the, we're the unbelief church. <laughs> you know, <laughs> With a not sure church. <laughs> With a, well, we'll wait and see how it works out, church. No, they're faith. Yeah, they're faith, church. I don't suppose they'd be at all unhappy with that. And they have seen thousands saved out of this so-called Muslim stronghold and huge healings and breakthrough power. He's teaching a people. And the thing that staggered me was at one point he said, now let's just pray. And we were way back. I mean, he's way down there in this massive tent. And as we're praying, I said to Wendy, look at these people around us. They're way back. And they're praying and they're going up and down and praying. I thought, there's no one back here going, when's he going to finish? No, I thought, (laughs) this is storming leadership. Because you've got thousands and thousands, and they're all praying and praying. I thought, wow. And it's in the context of their worship. Their worship was not a preliminary to his great faith sermon, which was a wonderful sermon, terrific sermon. But he had built the meeting to meet God. And I just felt, Lord Jesus, teach us more about worship that is stimulating faith for expectation in this meeting. And so I see... I see faith has several perspectives. It has to be built on truth. It's not just the mood of the occasion. It's not just singing a bit louder. And you know what I mean, I'm sure. It's got to be built from truth, built from truth up. And you're still with us when we don't understand that kind of faith. It's costly worship. And sometimes we do know there can be a kind of triumphalism. Now, I know when we first started the Dale's Bible Week, particularly, they used to sing songs, we're going to take this land for Jesus. You know, well, what does that mean, actually? I'm not quite sure what that means, we're going to take this land. And I think there can be an overstatement that gets you into unreality. And so you can, you can, rah, rah, come on. And you think, no, that's not quite, what do we mean? Let's make it real, but we can be with God and have real faith. And so, yeah, we don't want to move into something unreal, We don't want to get into triumphalism, but we really want to live in faith. Amen? So worship, we're we're celebrating our liberty. We're declaring our confidence in him. And then the last uh, word I want to just bring to you is the word, well, I would call it 
encounter, devotion. I don't know which word to give it. Devotion. Encounter. It's that personal aspiration to meet him. So that we are looking for a touch from him. We're wanting to touch him, him to touch us. It's intimate, it's personal. It's reflecting the kind of thing that we were, again, touching on this morning, especially towards the end. And often the psalmist is saying, Lord, I long, I thirst. I thirst to encounter you. So it's not just about what we're going to do in your name. It's not just about the faith, the breakthrough, etc. But Lord, I thirst for you. It's your, your, my heart's desire. You are my one desire. And that kind of thing has to be, I believe, part, and again, a profound part of our worship. The desire to engage with him. We find that often in the Psalms, talking about this kind of thirst, when will I behold him? I'm staggered how much the psalmist understood when he's never read the Gospels. You know, he can't come to the cross. He doesn't know about blind Bartimaeus or Jesus touching the lepers. I'm just staggered at how much the psalmist knew of encountering God, thirsting for his presence and hating being away from him. And don't take your spirit from me. And that whole anticipation of encounter, of feeling, touching, experiencing his embrace. We know that one of the words for worship is to turn to kiss. Proscunio means to turn to kiss. It's just very tender. It's full of tenderness. And it's extraordinary to me that this book, The Song of Solomon, we made reference to earlier, you know, with all its uh, strangeness, is right in the heart of the Bible. It's full of language of romance and tenderness. And although we can find... uh, uh, people like CJ and others saying, ah, it doesn't have anything to do with you and God. It's just about human romance. And I dare say that's a very arguable position. And nevertheless, C.H. Spurgeon, Robert Murray McShane, Watchman Lee, uh, uh, D.L. Moody, um, James Hudson Taylor, you know, they found they met with God there. And uh, I personally... Uh, feel like I can meet with God there. I don't think it's the only place in Scripture which uses this kind of language either. If you look at Psalm 45, it talks about the king shall greatly desire your beauty. And very similar language to Song of Solomon. And uh, there is a tenderness of uh, encounter which we must look for. And again, in worship, whether it's by either public or private, we are looking for encounter. Jesus said, I will come and reveal myself to you. I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. And, and being with God is what it's all about. Experiencing his nearness. Celebrating the, the real encounter with him. And, and to be in his presence, to sing such songs. To be in your presence, not rushing away. To cherish each moment. And that whole sense of sitting at his feet, being in his presence. That to me is, if you like, that may be the heart of worship, though I don't want to take away from any of the other things we've been saying. But we want to win people to be worshippers. God is seeking worshippers. He wants, he wants our heart. He doesn't just want your tithe. You know, he, does, he wants our hearts. He wants us to uh, dwell in his presence, delight ourselves in him. And there come all these phenomenal promises. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's a wonderful Bible word, delight. And when we haven't got delight, we've got very little else. 
We're to delight, supposed to be overwhelmingly wonderful to be with God. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you all sorts of stuff. Because really it doesn't matter anymore because you're delighting yourself in God. He'll give you the desires of your heart because actually in that context, the desires of your heart get shaped. They get fashioned because priority is Him. Getting to know Him. And as we're enjoying that kind of familiarity and fellowship with Him, He is transforming us. This transforming work is taking place in us. It says that they sang, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his ten thousands. I guess after you've celebrated, wow, done, David! I guess a few of those girls thought, wow, wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind meeting him. Wouldn't mind spending some time with him. So you're not just from a, a distance saying, well done, David. Well done, Jesus, you great triumphant one. Wow, what would it be like to be with him? To be near him, feel his nearness. And again, to bring that to our people, that our people have an appetite, not simply of making sure you get to the small group meeting midweek. And you make sure you're on the road turn. Are you? We must cultivate secret desires for God and build churches that are full of worshippers. People who really prioritize to put God first, who delight in him. This love is touch, love is presence, love is nearness. And that for us, that is our priority. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, I want this story spoken of. And it was the story of the woman who broke the alabaster box. She gave uh, what was a year's salary, the value of that ointment, that perfume. And it was pretty risky stuff. You know, she poured it out. She wiped his feet with her hair. It's all breaking all the kind of rules. It's extravagant nonsense. And it's, for Judas, we could have used this. And all the disciples are saying, you know, we could have put this to good use. We could have um, helped the poor. And Jesus is very clear. Now, wherever the gospel is preached, I want this talked about. So I can talk to you about it and know that I'm in the will of God. Because he wants us meditating on kind of reckless devotion that doesn't think it out, doesn't wonder, will this be acceptable? But it's so purely driven. And God wants that from our hearts. That will have outworkings also of reckless commitment and action. And we know that worship is not just singing songs. We know that, it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is our logical worship. The Greek word is logikos. It means it's reasonable. Sometimes some translations say your spiritual worship. You know, when it says present your bodies in view of these things, present your bodies. But the word is logikos. It's logical. It makes sense. To give your body back to God and say, well, here I am, Lord, just take the whole deal. Because this is a logical response to what you've done. It may be something enabled by the Spirit, but the word Spirit isn't in the text. It's logical. It's like, this makes sense to give myself back to you in the way you've given yourself to me. And so worship from the heart comes aware of what God has done. It's based on truth, in spirit and truth, yes, but we're trying to raise up worshippers. If you've, you have a church of worshippers, you also have a church of workers, people who go the extra mile, people who will do all the things Jesus said, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. All that stuff that is living the Christian life will come from worshippers. 
People who are not worshippers, all that stuff doesn't make any sense at all. Why do I have to? Is everybody doing it? They're not doing it. Why should I have to do it? I went last week. You know, all that. If, if you go for the heart and try to win worshippers, all those things, you sometimes meet in church life, wow, these people are so kind, they're so thoughtful. They will be people whose hearts have been totally captivated. And we will build strong churches if we build churches full of worshippers who are besotted with Jesus. They just love him so much. God is seeking worshippers. We've enjoyed such a beautiful time here this morning. Again, as I said at the beginning, it tends to be like that at leaders' events. One of the things I love about leaders' events, the worship, is breathtaking. We often do a young leaders' weekend at in England, and we kind of take turns who's the speaker, and I always say, can I go, can I speak, can I speak? I just want to get in the worship, because it's breathtaking. It's just magnificent. And so, yeah, we're, we often go in for this, but to be honest, dear brothers and sisters, we sometimes enjoy it here, but we've settled for something else at home. And we sometimes put up with the worship. And we haven't even gone for anything. And maybe we've not even sat with our worshippers and said, what are we after? What are we, where are we trying to reach? Maybe you just found a good guitarist. Said, well, God bless you, over to you. And then we get on with it. I want to encourage you to see, no, in worship, in church, your relationship with your worship leaders is massively important. Massively important. So they know where you're coming from. They know what you're after. You know, they know what's, where your desires are. And to be honest, sometimes they too, when they're really brilliant worship leaders, can help you understand because they've actually thought it through magnificently themselves. But what we don't want to do is sit in separate rooms getting annoyed with what's happening. We do need to say, no, this is worship. Leading a people to be worshippers is one of your highest callings. It really is. As, as the shepherd of the flock, to lead your people to be worshippers. And so we can't say, well, the musicians look after that. No, you've got to be with the musicians and talking it through. So we say, well, that's what we're after, which may mean we have to stop some of those things that we've been doing for a while. Because it doesn't seem to take us to God, actually. And that is so important. So we may have to take some choices. We may have to make recommendations. We may have to be searching around and listening for great songs that help. We may need to sit with some of our songwriters and say, have you ever thought of writing something about this? Why don't you pray about that? We need some more faith songs. I got our guys together, spent an evening with them. Way back I said, we haven't got enough faith songs. Songs that say we're going to win this. Um, Come on, let's have... I I just commended them for some of the great objective things and and how we're going to cope in the midst of pain. But what about we're going to win this thing? We need some stuff we can shout together and sing confidently. We need some more. A selection of those kinds. So I said, come on, let's write some more of these, please. So we need to be together because to have a worshipping, praising community is what God's looking for. And that's part of our responsibility. Okay, I'm just going to finish there. I'll just pray. If you'd like to discuss or raise some questions, we've got a few minutes. I think it's 12 we nailed it. So we've got like 12 minutes, I think. Father, please would you help us? We do really love you. Lord, this morning has been bliss being in your presence, just just flowing from expression of love to expression of love. And Lord, just fortifying our hearts and minds with truth together. It's been so blessed. And God, we do ask you, would you continue to help us? And Lord, in as much as it's our...
part and responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if there are any questions that come from that, uh, and if I can, maybe others could answer. If not, we can all go home. Sorry, over there. True. Yeah, no, it's very good. I think I think Mark's been a tremendous blessing to us, and uh, I'm sure he will continue to be. Uh, he said to me after Brighton, he said, "I've learned more in one week here than I've ever learned in any one week of my life." And he'd never been exposed to our kind of worship before, so his value does not have in his history any sense of coming with expectation to encounter which I believe, as charismatics, we have. We come anticipating encounter. Um, I don't think Mark does. And he comes, and the early songs are songs of reflection, repentance, and then he preach, and then there's a response. In that sense, like Lloyd-Jones, really, you came to hear this word. You didn't come to encounter. And so, I mean, Lloyd-Jones... I suppose it might be the same with, with Tim Keller, who's uh, at a Presbyterian church and says that their worship is very formal. I personally am quite jealous to, while I want to I be as influenced by them as I'm meant to be, which I think is a lot, because <laughs> I think they're terrific guys, but I don't want to let go of this huge value of encountering the Holy Spirit, encountering the presence of God, and so I think for myself, I don't buy into that. I know I've heard it, and I've heard, I've heard on tape occasionally on some of his downloads, you can hear a bit of their worship, and it sounds pretty miserable. <laughs> it's just heavy stuff. And even Piper, when he was there, commented on it. And uh, it's, it's, there was no sense we're coming, we're going to meet God now. And, and I, they, come, they meet God in the preach. I mean, it's breathtaking stuff. I mean, the preaching is superb. When Wendy and I were at Bible College, we went to this church in the morning, which was the first genuine charismatic church I'd ever been to. And uh, it ran from 9.30 to about 1 o'clock, and we had lunch. And you not, never knew what was going to happen. It was absolutely phenomenal, breathtaking. Uh, preaching was okay. In the evening, we went to hear Lloyd-Jones, where you, en- you endured singing three terrible hymns, and then you listened to this great, great man. And uh, I just believe we want great preaching and great worship. So I'm, personally, I don't buy into the philosophy. I mean, I think you can. You can I know sometimes I've, I've felt, oh, I wish I could just switch it this week. I think I'd like to preach first this week, because I think it would just lend itself but not, is, that's not where you're going every week. Uh, but sometimes I just think, hey, that, could, that would work very well. Um, okay, that's where I'm...
the resistance from some of the worship leaders was that, well, some of those other songs aren't so rich in the theology. You, you commented songs that are just rich and just saying, and um, having real difficulty at times um, trying to get them to, to add that kind of multicultural dimension because they're just like, that these, they're just repeating a, a line that doesn't really say hmm. much, but there isn't much out there. So what would you... Yeah, I think that... Take say and write sure. <laughs> I, I would have hoped that born-again believers from all kinds of backgrounds will want to say appropriate things to God in songs. And so I would hope that we would find and encourage, like I've sat with our musicians and said, hey guys, you need to write some more of this kind of a song. That we could say to guys, hey, you know, we would love to come meet you with your style. Uh, maybe you could do some more songs that reflect that style that have these kind of con- this kind of content that could lift us into the presence of God more. And well, that would be mine. I don't live in the, what you live in, so I'm a bit ignorant. But that's what I would feel, that, uh, that inevitably we must, the principles I've shared, I believe, are biblical across the board. Our endeavor to express multiculturalism is fine. What we want, I think, is songs that are saying what we want to say Maybe they can say them very simply. Uh, they don't need to be... When I once asked Stuart about one of the lines in It's the Power of the Cross, and he just sang it and introduced it to our leaders weekend. It's his new song. And we just thought, whoa. And one of the lines, I just went to him and said, what is that line? I just occurred to me. And I know he would want it to be the best before he goes public. And he opened a book and said, yeah, I've wondered about that. And he had seven alternatives for that one line. And that's, you know, he's a real craftsman. Now, I'm not looking for everybody to be a phenomenal craftsman. doesn't need it, really. And Paul Oakley wrote, it's all about you, Jesus, one sitting. He said it fell, just came out of his... He was going through a terrible time. It was his turn to worship the next, lead worship the next day. He came home late. He said someone had said to him, oh, it's you leading tomorrow. I'm so pleased. It's great when you lead and he hated that. He thought, oh God, I hate that. I'm self-conscious. Oh God, have mercy on me. It's getting late, one o'clock in the morning. Oh God, can I phone someone else to lead the worship? He's going through agony. And he's sitting there and he said, God gave him. It's all about you, Jesus, not about me. He just wrote it down and taught us the next day. It just came out of heaven. So, you know, songs can come simply or hard work. But I think that it doesn't mean that it's because it's very hard work, it all has to be that way. They can be simple songs. But I think that we want content I would have thought was important. So that's what I'm, saying, what I'm trying to say. Do we carry, we carry on with the traditional ones that we have because that helps people feel, hey, if I'm Zulu, I feel, hey, I belong here. You're worshipping a song that I relate to. But am I hearing what you're saying is that we should be stirring up among us I would think if we can move it along, I think your endeavor, your desire to win and show affection and embracing is absolutely right, must be right. I think that all, at the same time, to win people along, it's the same from every culture. We can't just sing old favorites. And we just need to know if, what we're pressing forward together. 
And so I would feel to try and move it along. Personally, I would feel that. I'm very happy for anyone else to comment, to correct that. Um, but I just feel some of that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to stand up, Lex, because it's a long room? Hmm. I mean, I think it, it would take longer probably than we're going to have in glancing at my watch. But I do think that the size of the church inevitably affects your expectation in that dimension. So in a small church, uh, we can have a lot more participation. Uh, I think as a church grows larger, probably it's going to have to reuse PA. It's going to need a band to lead us. It's going to therefore be those who lead who will tend to have this frightening responsibility of choosing what most people are going to be thinking about for the next three quarters of an hour or X amount of time. That's why it's hugely important that worship leaders choose well because instead of when we come together, it's very spontaneous, which is where many of us started in house churches when we got started, very spontaneous. There wasn't any such thing as a worship leader. And so when whatever was happening stopped, it's as much your job as mine and whatever's going to happen here. You didn't all look up to see what he's going to do. We're all in this. And so now when we're in a church with a PA, we need it for sound, numbers, etc. Uh, so it's important that we do choose good songs. Uh, but then I would say, and I'm, I mean, I guess there's a lot of personal preference here. I would feel in a, a larger meeting that probably from the beginning it's platform-led, there's a sense of gathering to God, and then hopefully if we have the time in our program, there can be a a, a space sort of backing off from the platform, giving opportunity for prophetic utterances and so on. I think again, as a church grows in size, we need to help people to know in terms of the prophetic what is appropriate in a very big meeting. And what is not appropriate in a very big meeting? What would do better back in the small group that you go to or another context of church life like the prayer meeting? 
but on a Sunday which is now public, unsaved, present, we're looking for something of appropriateness to this setting. And I think that needs to be learned, as you know, spoken into, learned out of correction and approval. Uh, so I would feel, yeah, it's going to be platform. Then it's probably going to be some more space for people to take part. Uh, so we're looking for the prophetic. I don't think we back off uh, the prophetic because we're wanting to be more evangelistic. I do feel that at the beginning of so-called restoration churches, which is where uh, we came from, um, we were not very evangelistic in reality. We were gathering the saints, opening them up to recovering Christianity as in the Bible. And some of our churches grew quite fast because people were thirsty for that. It wasn't very evangelistic in the ultimate sense. It wasn't for the lost. <laughs> it was getting Christians. And some of our churches grew because, ah, this is the kind of church I wanted. Now if we're going to be more evangelistic, we've got to be much more aware of the outsider much more conscious of what does he think? What does he think is happening there? Now, I think I was listening to a Matt Chandler um, download the other day, and he, he's saying, as he did a tremendous teaching on church planting. He said, some people want to t- lower the praise. He said, no, 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 no. I want the sinner to hear how enthusiastic I am about God. I was thrilled to hear it. He said, no, let them. He said, I don't want them thinking like I'm married to a wife. And when they ask about her, I say, yeah, well, we made a promise years ago, so we're still together. He said, he said I want them to hear me enthusing. And he said, I want people who come in to say, wow, these people are pretty enthusiastic about God. And then also for the prophetic to find people out there uh, so that if it's really in God, why shouldn't it? That's what the Bible says. They will say, God's among you. And so I'm looking for the prophetic as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think in a big meeting you're looking for probably a platform. You must. Have, I think PA is the overriding thing. When you get to a certain size, you're not going to be heard unless you come through. And then you're going to worship leader and so on. But I think we can corporately come to God. I think you then have an awareness of the kind of a timing factor. How long have you got? You may have, I don't know, 40, 50 minutes of worship. And you're thinking right after the first however much you settle on. Let's begin to back up. Let's begin to make space. And, and some people have to come to the mic to prophesy. Uh, it depends on your building. Uh, and if they do have to come to the mic, you need an understanding with the worship leader. Does he just cave in if someone starts? Or does, do you wait for him? I think you need to talk it out. So that maybe the worship leader, is, he knows where he's going, and the elder who's looking after the mic is in good eye contact with this guy, and you don't just barge in and stop where he was going. Uh, but he's, he's, he will nod you in. Say, right, it's all right, now it's a good time. And then two or three might come through with prophetic utterances. I think you've just got to learn that. You can't find Bible verses for it. But I think, you know, we do have in our ranks very gifted worship leaders now, praise God. And to cut across where they want to go is not always helpful because they're bringing us to God. But to cut out the prophetic is also a very serious loss. So we want to guard both those. That would be where I'm coming. I'm looking at my watch now, PJ. So. This is excellent stuff. Yeah. One more. Oh, good. I see one there, but I saw one over there earlier. Can I just come? Sorry. Two more. Two. All right, we'll have those two. Come on, Francois, I saw your hand up earlier. Do you think we are in a rut? I think that is too generalized. 
I think it's possible. Uh, I don't think I can generally answer that. I've not been to your church lately. I mean, I'm not, you know, I can't answer for everybody. I think the possibility is always there for anyone. I don't think it has to be. We've not been here this morning by any means. And so I, I don't, I wouldn't, and in honesty, you know, I'm being honest. <laughs> I, when I, at home, I can have disappointing Sundays. I can have very exciting Sundays. When I don't encounter Jesus, for me, when I think it's over, and now we're going on to whatever happens next, and I never felt we really touched the Lord, or I was touched by sensing his presence, that we really engaged with him. We sang a few songs, and uh, I think we need to be careful with even meeting multiplication. It's another big subject. Uh, But I think... Again, the Driscoll thing, double up meetings, which you know a lot of us are doing. If, you, if you're not careful and double up so there's no room for God, we will lose such an ingredient that is very distinctive about who we are. So I, I know for myself, I'm so glad we doubled up morning and evening at home because it gave us time for both. Now, I think we're going to go again. And I'm hoping we'll choose an afternoon time. <laughs> But I think probably we'll go for two mornings. And I'm, that's not where my heart would be. Uh, but I don't lead the church anymore. But I think that, 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 that's... I think if we don't have time for encounter, we're in big trouble. Because I think we've, we've lost where we started. We've lost our heart. We want to meet Jesus. And so that's a big value for me. Now, I think it's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think your people need to be aware... And we also get people drifting in. <laughs> you know, you say starts. We, we're pretty good starting on time. But a lot of people don't come in until after time. We're finding out that even this, over this, these few days together. The last question then, over here. Sure, sure. I realize it can be seen as separate. I honestly feel they must be deeply integrated. And so that when, when we are expressing our devotion to God, that that is, that's, that's all that I'm doing at home, all I'm doing everywhere else is summed up in Lord, what I'm saying to you now. And, uh, 
And I heard, again, Mark, on, Mark Driscoll on tape, and I heard him talk about, uh, he talked about, he's got a series on worship, and he talks about singing. And that's quite separate to worship. For him, it's the Romans 12, giving your life is worship. And I, that's hugely important, there's no question. That's huge. Your life is worship. This is your reasonable worship. And Peter uses similar language about our lives, our worship. And uh, we must never lose that. But I think that then our coming together to express our worship to God is also genuine and real. And those things must be integrated. If they're not integrated, it's meaningless. And so we're not just asking for something, hey, the drummer was brilliant this morning, and, you know, performance. Now, I mean, I, I love it when the drummers... Actually, I, I wouldn't thank the drummer afterwards. <laughs> I love it when they're brilliant. But we're not just coming to this thing. Uh, and I think the difference between worship and a, a worship gig or a worship event or where we come to hear that great band that can really get us kind of confused. Because worship is something we're all doing from our hearts together to God. And then we're trying to work out that devotion by sacrificial acts, kindness and love and affection, which is all worship. And I think that if that is not worshipful, if that's just the duty, and what I'm trying to say in the talk earlier really, if we, our hearts are being one to be true worshippers, that will affect our sanctification big time. Because it really is from the heart. I'm not, I want to choose to be holy as we sing. You know, I want to choose to be holy. And, and, and that needs to be an expression of that's what I mean, Lord. That's what I mean when I'm at home. That's what I mean, you know, with the kids, with my wife, with opportunity to sin. I want to choose to be holy. So that when we corporately come and sing, we're singing, this is the way I want to live my life, Lord. And so it's authentic. It's genuine. And I think that, that integration is hugely important. So, yeah, it's got to be lived out. Otherwise, it's a sing-song with nice melodies, and we really clapped it up this morning. And that's not where I am at all. So we do. It needs to be integrated with a lifestyle, um, which is our, re- our logical worship. It's our lifestyle. Our li- and go on through Romans twelve one and two. You give out our bodies in service. That's worship. And so worship isn't only what happens in the hour or so we're in the in the meeting. I mean, it's a hugely important point you've uh, brought to our attention. But those things should be deeply integrated. And, uh, you know, even in, you know, we can be singing our songs of love as we're doing this stuff. Uh, I remember when, uh, perhaps I'll close with this, when we were um, at the uh, OICO uh, conference in Brighton, which was the uh, uh, charismatic thingy that went right around the world. And some Chinese came to it. And... Uh, I mean, they stole the whole thing. And they came because it was in Brighton. They knew that Hudson Taylor went from Brighton Beach to start the uh, China Inland Mission. And they said that publicly. That's why we've come to this conference. And they were house church pastors. And this guy had been in prison. And uh, he, he said, as he spoke to the whole conference, uh, where we have our conference in Brighton, and uh, he said, uh, I wanted to be alone with Jesus. I wanted to worship him. I wanted to be in his presence and so he, he volunteered for the job in the prison of clearing out the dung of the whole camp, which went through a certain place. And he was knee-deep in it and shoveling it and uh, stinking. And he said no one wanted to come anywhere near him. 
And he said, so I'm there with Jesus. And he said, I'm just singing. And he just started to sing that old hymn. We walk in the garden alone. La, da, 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 da. And the, it says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. It's got this line about the fragrance. <laughs> you think the fragrance? <laughs> but he said, he said, I could be with Jesus. And he's working hard. But he said, I'm singing and Jesus is with me. I mean, the place of tears everywhere. Because his authentic worship, doing the most despicable job, but doing it as from the heart, as for God, as it says uh, in the scriptures, you know, your, your service is not for men, but for God, which is your worship. And so it comes right into secular work, not, not as men please, as Paul says, but serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Because that word worship and service, the same word very often in the Greek, translated differently. Um, so it, it must have that authentic uh, mixture. Sorry, we've really gone... Thank you.